Hey everyone, welcome to the Belena Podcast, Episode 2. Part 2. It turns out when you put a bunch of 3D printer-focused, big-brain people in the same room together, they want to talk about everything under the sun. We have our same guests, Deval Banerjee, founder of Vucasan, and Matt Palmer, founder of GenFab. They'll be interviewed by Alex Marinos, CEO and founder of Belena. I'm Andrew Nem, your producer. In Part 1, Deval and Matt talked about how they're bringing industrial scale 3D printing capability to the masses. In part two, they'll be talking about how that same thinking can help solve some of these growing supply chain issues that we're facing. We'll also talk about whether or not our civilization will become a spacefaring one, some pretty sick 3D printer hacks and mods, and of course, our favorite YouTube channels. Enjoy. There's a topic we, we, we touched on a couple of times so far, and I want to get your guys' takes which is supply chains, right? I'm sure you're both suffering in your own ways from that. And I heard, uh, I don't remember who mentioned the fact that, you know, short supply chains and innovation are, are like inextricably linked. I think you both yeah. actually mentioned something around that. So do you think we're looking at a shortening of the, of the supply chain uh, coming soon? I'm now going to be the, the guy who says the wrong thing on the internet and wait for you guys to <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we're looking at a shortening of the supply chain by necessity for anyone who wants to do anything interesting, because quite frankly, it is a shit show out there. The shit show is compounding and not slowing down, and it's hitting every category we can see. So just last week, we found out the hard way trying to order a big ass batch of aluminum extrusions that the primary supplier of that uh you know, of, of high quality aluminum extrusions, at least, you know, uh, in a, the, the primary one that you could kind of turn on and turn off um, as a, a, you know, as a demand, uh, a demand actuated tap for that sort of stuff uh, is now 60 days delayed and it's getting worse by the day. Right. So out of nowhere, we we're like, oh, shit, well, we need to, you know, we need frames for for literally hundreds of 3d printers over the next couple months and for you know and for another and then for another like five dozen test rigs for other other stuff you know other tools we want to be running on this on the same robotics and all of a sudden we're we're having to look at bent sheet metal for for a bunch of things that that you know we didn't have to before because right. if you know be, because the factory that makes the sheet metal is in uh, is in Indiana and there are shops that can laser cut it and bend it down the road from us here in Michigan. And it's suboptimal relative to, you know, relative to erector, you know, to industrial erector sets uh, uh, in the form of like T-slot extrusions. But it's gonna, it very easily could be the only option we have to make the machines that build on the machines. And that's, that's, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I get the feeling that um, that sort of problem is going to be exactly the kind of thing that uh, uh, people across um, the entire developed world are going to be experiencing uh, trying to do anything industrially complex over the next couple of years. I mean, the geopolitical the geopolitical uh, direction of things is very, very bad, far worse than most people think. Um, the, uh, just the, the base level, like supply chain coordination issues, particularly with the concentration of, um, logistical systems, 
uh, and of uh, just like sale point of sale uh, into, you know, into um, Amazon and Ali and a few others. That's been extraordinarily pernicious, um, uh, uh, particularly because when it does work, it works quite well. Uh, yeah, exactly. And when it doesn't, it sure shit does not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know that sort of stuff is that sort of stuff is is becoming a huge issue. Um, I, I basically think that that the ability to create short supply chains is going to be a distinct competitive advantage for anyone trying to do anything in the industrial space um, going forward, and it'll be a big advantage for their customers to or for the customers of whatever firms are doing that because um, you know if you can provide uh, uh, predictable lead times that are short that are high volume, uh, you know, in that order, uh, then, then, yeah, yeah, then you can actually keep the industrial engine going right now. And, and as we're seeing just in time, logistics now means not at all logistics (laughs) for, 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 uh, increasing volume of, of, of the industrial inputs. I mean, we lucked out, um, with boards, uh like driver boards for um well for a number of different for a number of different things that we're plugging in you know um we uh yeah you know uh uh fyse tc uh big producer um did a run of exactly what we need and that is hopefully going to save us like a month and a half of bs trying to chain together creality's ender three boards so that they can run eight motor you know so that several of them can run eight motors while slaved to a raspberry pi uh and that uh you know that that's uh we got lucky right you know you don't really want to and we're not gonna get when over the over the oh yeah we don't want to get lucky i don't like being lucky i would very much like for i would very much like for our our uh our our microcontroller problem to be uh one of writing Verilog for for FPGA for you know for dirt cheap FPGAs that are you know that are churned out in some state sponsored factory in Texas. Quite frankly, you know I, I'm not a I'm not I'm you're not, not specific big... at all. I got it. <laughs> so next time in next time I'm in DC that that I'm going to be knocking down every every senator's door that I can find uh and every policy shop store that I can find uh about that specific thing. I mean, we so 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 badly need to take chip design and make it more general like it just is I don't care if we're using a 20 years out of date process for that. Like it's gotta happen and it's gotta happen like very, very soon. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, yeah. I don't know if we don't shorten that supply uh, chain, the entire fucking economy is going to grind to a halt in like a year and a half. I I was, I've been, uh, I've been thinking a lot about sort of new hardware and, 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 you know, I, I think about things, from the level that I'm sitting at, right? Because I don't have a lot of access to that technology. So I'm thinking about it on the PCB level or whatever, where I can actually visualize and, and think about it. Um, but I, I guess if, if it was easy to design chips at, at will, then you would not have as much problem with all the little components that are the extras that are needed around it. Because yeah. those are needed to to retrofit essentially something that was made for one situation to another, right? And you need all these little ad- adapters effectively 
like to turn your voltage into what you needed or to turn you know, some signal into what, what you needed or whatever, if you were just making it for what you needed, then you wouldn't need that. I mean, if you look at Apple's uh, phones, they have less and less components in them because they don't right. they just make the, the iPhone chip. They don't need anything else. Right. Um, <laughs> but I'm wondering if, if Duval has any problems with his uh, with, with supply chain or I mean yeah. when when your startup works, you know, you can you can sell us one because you know then no problem with extrusions. But um how are you how are you doing getting there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the thing is like right now I'm very early in just prototyping and like just developing the printer. So I I haven't really been affected by it. It's more like I just have to look around and see like, oh, I need this microcontroller. Is what's the lead time on this? And I did order a bunch of like STM32 development boards just in case something happens, but it hasn't really affected me yet because I'm just working on one or two printers. Um, and I guess the way we're working on these metal printers is they'd be this like huge, like almost like CNC mill type of machines. So even at scale, like we'd be making like a couple of years down the line, maybe 30 a year. Or 40 a year right um so we don't have to deal with a lot of the supply chain issues that like a lot of other companies are facing um which gives us an opportunity to kind of like vertically integrate the supply chain as much as we can and do as much as we can in-house um right. and so that's how i've been thinking of things um actually just for prototyping even though like it's uh like the thing is like i can't afford to go make go to a supplier and get my nozzles made so i just like figured out how to slip cast them on my own and uh, work on them internally. And that, that, I mean, not only is it cheaper, but it just was good for me to learn. Um, I actually do think like, it's very dangerous for companies to rely on external suppliers as much as they can and off the shelf components. Cause like, uh, you're losing a lot of like, I guess lessons in just like learning how to design these things. Like, so you're actually weakening like your internal like company in, in their engineering prowess because you're outsourcing as much work as you can. So I think like, uh, not only is it good for like, you know, margins and making your product like, uh, but it's also really important for your engineers to be able to learn how to do these things. Then you'll have much better engineers than your competitors too. So you're competing on like multiple levels basically. Right. Um, and so like you, you avoid all the logistics issues, you avoid uh, like a lot of the existential risk of like, oh, I can't find this part because my supplier is having a 90 day lead time or something. and I mean, part of what we want to do with the metal printing stuff is like, we want to prevent these types of issues for like people who are making molds or aerospace or something like uh, where the unit economics works for using a metal printer and for your end use part. Um, like one thing I thought was really interesting is like the way Apple manufactures their MacBooks is that they just mill everything, which just blows my mind. Like it's not a cast, like they, they take metal and just mill it out. And it's like, that's what they, like people do not appreciate how insane it is to make this this unibody design right yeah. it's insane yeah. it's it's absolutely absurd um but it'd be cool if more companies could do that right and that's kind of what i hope that we can help other people achieve is that they can just use this one machine to manufacture a lot of things for low volume use and then uh, not have to worry about retooling like even with cnc with cnc milling like you have to think of how the thing's fixtured so you're kind of locked into at least for production, you're kind of locked into a specific design that you iterate on. And I think like a lot of innovation originates from like being able to switch design completely or start from scratch or like start a whole new architecture rather than just iterating and refining one little thing. Um, so then the retooling, fixturing and thinking of all that with milling becomes limiting factor on what you're doing with building, if not the design. Like it's one of those constraints on your rate limit for 
building something entirely new. Um, So what we're kind of thinking is like with metal printing, you just weld to a plate. You don't have to think of fixed string. You can, and when you do think of, I guess, fixed string or positioning or like your machining strategy, that's all done on the computer rather than having to go out and retool an actual machine. Um, So I think like the more we can make manufacturing like this FPGA type of thing where you can just uh, re like, I, I think traditional manufacturing will kind of be like these ASICs. And then you'll think of like a use case for something like this, similar to like an FPGA type of thing where you're doing like maybe less than 10,000 parts a year and you're uh, changing the design constantly and iterating upon it. And you'll be able to do that in production. Like imagine if you could just like design something as a prototype and then uh, like, with, with software, you just like write an app, deploy it on AWS Lambda, and scale that way. And that's amazing that you can just do that. And in hardware, we don't have that. And it'd be nice to have something similar to that. And that's what we're trying to do. Um, where was I? I was getting lost on something. Oh, and then one thing is like the one thing I am annoyed with 3D printing on is like most people just use it for prototyping and not for manufacturing. Um, and you know, there's like I guess unit economics problems to deal with there, but uh like it kind of defeats the purpose of the prototype if you have to switch to a new manufacturing method to manufacture it um in some ways because like yeah 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 so like what would be nice is if we can make these machines that are capable of using the same process for your production and prototyping because then you're like basically like testing like your production method on like a desktop machine and then you can just push it to like whatever I guess print cluster or factory that you have, and then just start rolling out things in production. And then you can iterate much quicker on your design and not have to worry about like your, like the whole idea of like just in time manufacturing is to like um, compress the iteration loop. Like you don't have inventory because like right. if you make a mistake in design, it's like stuck for the next like thousand parts of something that you already manufactured. And you just have a lot of sunk capital that way. Whereas if you have this kind of like, I mean, they call it digital manufacturing, but like, you know, what does that mean? But the idea is like, you know, if you can, do this where you're able to change the design and not like screw over your inventory. Like that's going to, I think, make it a lot easier for engineers to try new things. And that's yeah. what I'm really obsessed about. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I would add to that also that uh, I'm, you're totally right there. I, I, I would add though, that uh, I, I think people radically misprice the unit economics of, of even FDM right now. Um, actually, oh, sure. especially, especially FDM, like the quality of the, of the machines that you can get for right now around 2,500, probably next year, 2000, the year after that, about a grand, um, is far, far above anything you could buy for $50,000 up 10 years ago. Um, right. absolutely. They are faster. They are better. They have higher yield rates. And they have yield rates that are that that when properly tuned and when you're not dicking around with with materials that that are uh, badly spacked or dealing, you know, having a bunch of other issues, um, you know, you can you can actually start to achieve yield rates up in the 90s and, you know, and then and then higher and then, you know, and then and then you start going to repeating digits and uh, that, you know, at least for certain certain sorts of things. And um I just I think a lot of people aren't cognizant about that. I don't think they they certainly don't design around the assumption that you can do the first ten thousand or twenty thousand of whatever part you're doing um, 
you know, three days after you finalize the design or, or gotten close to finalizing the design uh, on, on a side of print farms and that you can do that cheaper and with probably less lead time than it would take to, you know, to, to throw the football over the Pacific and have somebody in, uh, you know, in PRC or Indonesia, um, you know, do all your tooling and injection molding and all this other stuff. So for a, a, an increasing volume of, of plastics applications, the, the unit economics have, have changed already. I would also say too, um, part of the issue that, you know, like what you were talking about, uh, with, uh, you know, the scale imposed by, um, or sorry, the, the, the iteration, the iteration, uh, timelines that are imposed by the need to do mold designer work holding or all this other stuff. I think that that is going to change a lot as we move towards lower force processes like the induction, um, like the induction based, uh, 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 filament deposition that you guys are doing or, uh, you know, or, or subtractive machining with electrical discharge, uh, right. That sort of stuff, you know, your work holding becomes, uh, you know, becomes a, becomes a, a just one more, one more chintzy robot arm. Uh, uh, once you start doing stuff like that and, um, that is, uh, wildly, wildly different, uh, 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 set of constraints for, you know, for engineers trying to, uh, do, you know, do very traditional things with a block of aluminum, um, that, uh, you know, with a block of aluminum or with a bunch of powder or with filament or what you right, know, right. Um, so yeah, I think I think that, uh, and, and this brings me back to you know, cult uh, uh, engineering is downstream of culture. Like if you don't, you know, if if you're acculturated to this idea that you're reliant upon extreme capital density to do anything, um, you are reliant on extreme capital density to do anything because you can't imagine a world in which that's not the case. So yeah, I, th I think there needs to be a lot of like demonstration and proving out of uh, of uh, uh, capabilities that uh, right now are considered to be the you know the province of big aerospace companies or of uh you know or of uh, the gentleman engineer working uh working in 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 a garage somewhere or the you know or the 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 college student in her dorm yeah that's exactly how i feel and I, yeah i think it's getting to the point with embedded stuff right but then like you know still like i mean i guess like we're starting to see more like, I guess, maker spaces with CNC machines on college campuses, but those are still kind of like pretty difficult to use. And like, you know, you, it does cost money, but I think like for us, like uh, when I was in school, it was like, um, so we're between 20 and $60 an hour, which isn't actually that bad, but like as a college student, it's still like yeah, a lot, but like for a company, like for us, like that's, that's amazing. That's like amazing <laughs> to be able to right, do right. something at 20 or $60 an hour. Um, something in that range, but yeah, I'm hoping that it's going to change over time. Like for us, what we're thinking is like, I mean, it's going to take a long time for us to make these machines, but, uh, what we'd like to do is like offer a service where you can basically just, and then we'll like have these centers where you can just like, uh, in, in like major cities or like high use cities. So like the lead times are low, kind of like, it'd be a dream if we could be like the additive McMaster car, <laughs> that's what we're hoping for. But, um, yeah. And then like people who use it a ton who think like, okay, maybe it's cheaper for them to just actually like lease a machine and have one on site. That's what we're thinking might make sense. But um, yeah, there's definitely a small group of people that need like metal printed parts um, on site and need a machine for that. Uh, but as things become more common, maybe we'll see that leasing becomes more common than actually the service itself.
I think it's I think it's a question of the unit cost of the actual machines. Like you know, right, if, right. If we're you know, if we're talking about um, you know, like uh, uh, big uh, big SLS printers, uh, selective laser centering printers that right. have you know that have a bed of uh, you know that have a uh, just doing this for the context for the listeners that have a bed of uh, yeah. bed of powder that that uh, laser goes over and you know uh, uh, builds a you know builds a, a, a arbitrary arbitrarily complex geometry part mm-hmm. out of you know out of the nylon powder that way um, you know that that sort of stuff currently costs you know HP will will ding you for a quarter of a mil to buy one of those machines. And once you have Correct. them, you know, you, you know, once, once you have it, you have that capability. Um, but Is once the software that also as good as an HP printer, or... <laughs> <laughs> I shit you not. They make you use printer cartridges. Of course they do. Yep. <laughs> Somebody in HP sales took a look at that and said, "Hmm, what do we what do we make most of our money? Yeah, cartridge sales. Is there and, a, are they chipped as well so that you can't I refill it? I'm certain they probably. are. I you know, we will probably end up having to use one of those things down the road for some sort of some sort of uh some sort of process probably just renting time on one. Um, I'm not looking forward to the moment that we do because I want nothing to do with that stat, that technology stack. But um, when the you know when the when the entry level uh, machine for that sort of process is a quarter of a mil, that advantages job shops and 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 uh, proto labs, right? Um, right. When the entry level cost for a machine like that is 25 grand and it can do the same if not greater output with with similar uh, part performance characteristics, that's a very different world. And when it's $2,500, uh, the whole built environment changes. Right. So, you know, we, we think that, we think that that, um, you know, walking that improvement curve, uh, is the most consequential thing that, you know, that, that, that we can do just if you can get the cost. If you can get the unit cost down, you can get it in more places. And once it's in more places, it improves faster because every, you know, you have more sets of eyes on it. They're contributing fixes back, especially if you're not being an idiot and you're, you letting people do your <laughs> research for you because you're keeping it open source. Um, uh, uh, and yeah, I think that it's, uh, uh, I think that that, uh, uh, you know, that that improvement cycle could happen a lot faster than people think. But, you know, it does still need to be shown out like that, you know, that 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 needs to be that needs to be demonstrated for folks and it needs to be um, actually made real. Uh, we've seen that with printers, uh, you know, with with FDM. Uh, 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 FDM printers, and what I'm wondering, what we're hoping to find out, uh, is you know what, what is the next, what is the next technology that expands the capability envelope of somebody who has two grand to spend on, mm. on right. a machine tool, right? Like, how do you democratize and proliferate that? Uh, right. So, right. if I have two grand today, what is, uh, and I have a three, like a FDM three printer. What is my next best use for 
uh, expanding my my faction capability. <laughs> Your capability interval? Um, if you have two grand and and uh, and an Ender three right now. I already yeah. Let's say I already have, yeah, I have yeah, a Bruce yeah. actually. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if that makes a difference. But... <laughs> expand expand the 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 volume of capability that you have in terms of materials. So uh enclose your printer uh 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 get better software so that you can run it a bit quicker um and with higher accuracy uh, or you know with 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 higher like dimensional precision um uh on your finished parts uh just clipper, invite... basically yes that's that's what i'm clipper. stating <laughs> Clip, clipper, clipper for those for those for the for the uninitiated is uh essentially uh the the kernel but for robotic motion systems or it will be that uh you know given another three or four years of development um yeah i mean you know i i would i would uh i, I would do those things i mean really the the correct answer here is uh wait a few months and then uh uh, uh buy uh buy a genfab rig uh <laughs> and then uh and then uh help us uh help us help us help you figure out how to turn that into a business so you can buy five or ten more genfab rigs uh <laughs> <laughs> hey i, I don't mind Duval, what would you uh what would you have me buy uh for a couple of grand to improve what i can make in my house sure um I think what Matt said was pretty accurate. I mean, I'd pretty much agree. Uh, maybe so. Maybe basically, double grand? down on making my printer better, but not yeah, necessarily yeah. getting another. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Huh. I think. Fascinating. Um, let's see. If if you made that like five to seven k, I would say maybe do a DIY. I don't know. EDM What's on offer? Tell me. I'm up for. I'm open. <laughs> um, like I think like having an EDM machine where you can cut away at metal. That might be pretty useful. And I saw this, like, I was looking around about a month back for if there's any kits to do this. And I found, like, this one, I forget where it is. I'll have to look around after the show. But uh, uh, basically, like, if you build your own motion system, you can build your own, uh, like, EDW machine at home and start cutting away at metal, which which would be pretty interesting. I think masking the eyebrows may be working on something. Uh, <laughs> but if you are, I'd like to buy one. <laughs> That's, so uh, I, I think the open source community is about 18 months. Uh, I think the open source community is about 18 months away from blowing everybody's socks off in terms of the capability of these things uh, or right. of, of electrical discharge uh, machining, um, such that I think we're probably going to have to go rebranded as something a little more charismatic i personally like electro milling <laughs> uh but that's just me yeah um yeah the capabilities there are nuts i mean the the ability to essentially take like a core xy voron or equivalent which is one of the projects that we're drawing a lot of inspiration from for for uh you know our our initial uh you know for our initial uh uh, uh chassis um yeah the ability to take that swap a swap a tool head on there swap the build surface for a for a build for a build tank or for a you know uh, for an electro milling tank um and then just you know the only real unsolved problem is uh right now is uh, the work holding aspect of that right. um you know the rest of it needs to kind of just be a uh you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of programming that needs to happen for that to you know for that to integrate with these various different systems. But um, 
there are enough people working on it and working quickly on it that uh, you're you're going to see. Um, I think within 18 months, uh, systems that can do commercial stuff at scale. And now then then, and that means you're taking a significant fraction of the capabilities of a, of a, of a 50,000 to 150,000 six axis Haas rig and knocking that down to five grand and then to 2,500 and then to 1,500 and then the whole built environment changes. So, um, yeah, that's, 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 I think the, honestly, electrical discharge machining is the single most underappreciated manufacturing technology out there right now. Um, it, it, it has the most out of whack ratio of potential to interest of anything that I've seen. I, I mean, it's 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 uh, the 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 amount of um, things you can do on the other end of maturing that technology are like at least if two orders of magnitude more impressive than anything that's ever come out of FDM. Right. Simple as that. Yeah. Like, I, and and that's the that's what's so cool about all these low force processes. Um, as soon as you can automate this stuff into many thousands of little cells with swappable tool heads and swappable build build volumes um, running on largely the same robotics with, uh, you know, with a ton of shared software, um, we, you know, we end up in a, uh, you know, we end up in a world that is wildly different from the one we have right now. I mean, um, because because that's you know that 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 set of capabilities is going to make it that much easier to make more machines that can do that <laughs> you know and it's gonna it's gonna make um yeah. uh, fan out fan out and iteration on uh you know on those on those machines uh that uh, much quicker i i think the you know i've done a lot of thinking around self-replicators uh yeah. just for fun like just because it's like the, the funnest thing i could think about to think yeah. about um <laughs> And um, it, it, it's shocking how much you can, how far you can go with it. And a lot of it is about giving up the kinds of things that don't, like, that are the way they are because of things are the way they are. For instance, like, you know, we care about, like, the weight of things. Why? Because we need to ship it very far. Why? Because we right. make it all in one place you know uh but if we didn't make it all in one place but it, it was within continent so it could be railed yep. into wherever you wanted it yep, yep. then you wouldn't care about the weight and then all of a sudden a lot of things you know a lot of things go away uh, or we care about reliability to a crazy degree but if you have a machine that can make its its successor right maybe it can meet a lot fewer repetitions in it because hey when it reaches 10 percent of its of its useful life it'll just make its successor yeah it's just cannibalizing it's cannibalizing or, itself to, to yeah to sure whatever build, build right like the, yeah. the, the, the the one master capability of replication um can pay for a lot of flaws i'm talking like lethal flaws today yeah right so so but but so a lot of that technology is there um, but it's not being unified. It's not being thought of that way because it's not. It doesn't make any sense unless you have the full cycle of, of self-replication. Otherwise, if you need right. one part shipped, you're screwed, 
right? So, or, or something, even though, I mean, I'm sure you can do some things with one part chip. There's, you know, once you reach zero, it's a whole other ball game. Um, but, um, or, or if, or if the parts that you need, you know, the, the, uh, Adrian Boyer's vitamins, uh, or the rep wrap vitamins, you know, the technical nutrients that you can't, uh, you know, that you can't, re- uh, generate yourself. Um, if those are really low mass, right. <laughs> yeah. you know, if, if you can, if you have a general purpose, uh, if you have a general purpose computer, or a shitload of general purpose computers and you can just send rockets full of general purpose computers. That's the one thing that you can't make in, right. you know, in, in, uh, uh, you know, in the Jovian, <laughs> yeah, in the Jovian system, um, you can, and you can make pretty much everything else in the Jovian system. Um, yeah, you're, you're, you know, you're reliant on a lot fewer, uh, on a lot fewer things. And uh, as, as far as the, the, you know, like weight constraints and everything else like that uh, is concerned, um, you know, all this just gets easier when we're, when we're, when we're talking about out of the gravity well, like, you know, not even a decade or two from now. Right. You know, um, once we're out of the gravity, once we're out of the gravity well, and, you know, it is, it is, and it is relatively inexpensive and, also relatively simple to just plot a trajectory send a bot to go capture an asteroid and then and then chew it up as it's bringing it back um then all of the all of the uh yeah all all of your issues just end up getting yeah way simpler i I think that that will require a culture that uh, i'm coming around to your idea um culture haha <laughs> no i didn't mean it like that uh that will require a culture that um is 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 acclimated to the development of new technology because honestly my number one problem like literally uh, everywhere is convincing people that crazy stuff can be done yeah. like literally i feel like i'm uh, uh, most of my work at this point is to keep repeating the same points which is like yes crazy things are possible no yeah. just because it hasn't been done doesn't mean it can't be done just means it hasn't been done um yeah. because everything that was done was done well one point for the first time like you know this is not difficult to to reason through right like things that happen mm-hmm. have happened and therefore things can happen you know <laughs> it's like <laughs> we're not talking about automatics here but somehow we I think there's like this overt, like, I, I don't know. And maybe it has to do again with like the distancing from the manufacturing uh, spirit. But like, there's this weird sort of deification of the, the makers of things that sort of they know and nobody else does uh, yeah. because they don't have the right PhDs or whatever. And therefore, it's not even worth trying to do stuff. Um, I always have my stupid, uh, you know, ha- like made my, my, my sort of copper plated PCB right next to me to, to remember that, you know, this was thought to be impossible. And I was like, what do I have to lose? Like, can I copper plate, you know, uh, conductive filament? And it was like, holy shit, it works. Like, I, I, I was like, I, I, you know, I, was, I went step by step waiting to find the barrier. I was like, all right, this, this maybe this one. And I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, I'm seriously, I've never done anything like this in my life. And I was just like, ah, oh, happy go lucky. You know, it's, it's what you we were saying, Matt, before, which is like, as soon as you step out of the like gravity well of, of, of modern technology, there's all this low hanging fruit. It's embarrassing, but it's yeah. like, I, I should not be allowed to be the person that finds this. But I have, I have no business. <laughs> <laughs> it's there. It's so much. I mean, if if, if people are listening to us, like say one thing away. It, like get out there guys like there's so much stuff 
that you can that you can do and combine. It's almost like the whole like physical world has been abandoned to like everybody's gathered around like two or three like yeah. water wells and like drinking from that, and everything else has been like, hey, no idea. It's never been done before, so I guess it can't be done. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's a it's a huge problem. I think it's a big issue with the you know with with like the not just the capital allocation system but also with the talent allocation system i think a lot of people are like certain ideas about how things are done are pounded into people's heads in university and um and even before that and it's really actually have a phd to say that Right, 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 exactly. <laughs> Are you qualified to have such an opinion, sir? Yeah, pardon me, sir. How dare you critique this thing? Uh, you, you, you need to be in the education. You need to be in the education field to speak credibly about this. Um, uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, the, I, I think escaping that epistemic um, trap is is among the most critical cultural tasks of you know the next of the next couple decades because uh, if we do continue to restrict technological advancement to a priesthood of people with PhDs and and PI standing and labs and 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 traditional funding sources we're in big civilizational trouble because we're reaching the inflection points of a ton of different global trends that um, you know, that absent technological advancement will probably kill us. And yeah, no, no, it's, that's, uh, I love yeah, it. I mean, scientism is the biggest threat to science. Uh, truly, pretty, yeah, truly yeah, it is. True. Pretty much. Um, it is. You know, I love writing these threads on Twitter, like that are sort of, you know, kind of anti academic or whatever. And somebody's like, well, you don't have a PhD. So it's like, well, actually, I do. So fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I don't put yeah, it, you know I don't put it on my on my on my bio right so right, I right. could possibly have one if I'm not like putting it in your face so you know it's like look me up a Google Scholar I probably have more citations than a professor so I don't know just like <laughs> that, go away. <laughs> it's uh, Balaji. Balaji would deal with that I think a little <laughs> bit towards the beginning. Uh, Balaji Srinivasan, for those of you who aren't yeah, familiar, yeah. is this uh, yeah. is this uh, guy who's mostly famous for working in the crypto world. Uh, but his academic pedigree is in is in uh, uh, genetics and uh, you know uh, biology, and uh, he's uh, he's he's uh, among the most qualified people in the world to speak on that top on that subject. Uh, he just doesn't flaunt it, and the guy would right. get into these slap fights with people, uh, you know, with people with uh, uh, masters in public health who with very strong opinions on how on how we should on how we should uh, on how we should uh, 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 worry about the flu circa March of, of 2020 oh that, that and was... would consistently win these arguments with these people uh, if the thing that you were looking for was uh, you know was was uh, actual uh, rigor of thought uh, <laughs> but if the thing you were looking for was uh, you know authority to comment on public health matters uh, you know he he didn't. He didn't have that, and uh, we were, you know, we all suffered as a result. Um, uh, yeah, oh, scientism yeah. is a scientism, credentialism, and just the general idea that uh, the things ought to be re restricted to ivory towers is uh, it's Gate cancerous. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah. cancerous. It's, no, it's, it's, it's um, I, I seriously, I mean, I haven't really thought of it that way, but I, I almost feel like, yeah, I need to redouble my efforts uh, to sort of fighting against that one specific thing. I mean, it's, I've seen it so much. I see it in the stuff that I'm, I'm getting into. Uh, you may be aware of, but maybe I'll, I won't say too much, just not to drag us out of this gravity while we're in. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just like um, people with like credentials just absolutely continually just attacking you. It's like, yeah, there's like, the field that is the most sort of under attack right now with the, with the virus is like a hundred people and their students and their mentors, right. you know, and their funders. It's like, yeah, you all agree. We know because like <laughs> you can't not because like, and then when anybody sort of criticizes it, it's like, Oh, you know, but you don't have a, you're not in the field. Yeah. I'm not in like virology, but I'm not in, in, in genetics. And yes, I can read a stupid study and tell you that it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> You know, it's not. I don't need like your hyper specialized um, degree to, to tell you that what you're saying doesn't make any sense. Right. Um, but um, the, the the gatekeeping is is fractal. You know, it's not like, like in science, out of science. No, no, no. It's like in this particular field of science, and then it's like, yeah, but you're a virologist, but your expertise is in Ebola, not coronaviruses. Therefore, um, you know, you don't you don't have standing. And it's like, okay, I mean, at that point. Yeah. anyway, yeah, it's yeah. it's it's um. We gotta do something about that. I think I hadn't really thought it through. Uh, this is kind of jogging for me right now how important um, it is to. I, I, I call. I wrote it, and it didn't even click for me. But now it all makes sense. I called uh, you know siloization as fire breaks, but for 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 human flourishing. You know, like <laughs> yeah, right. You know, Pretty you have much. one good idea show up in one field, and it doesn't spread because nobody in that field talks to somebody in the other field. So it's like, okay, well, good. We got it in our little field. We got this good idea, and maybe somebody will take it somewhere else in a hundred years. My hope is that my hope is that preprint servers alone are enough to push us out of the at least the worst parts of that. Um, you know, I I wouldn't have the level of CS knowledge and capability that I do without things like archive and without the ability to watch the, you know, watch the research frontier move in real time. Um, I think that the accessibility of, of researchers has gotten uh, categorically better ever since the internet emerged. Um, you know, you can actually find people when you need to, um, but there's still this institutional structure, you know, there's still the fact that, uh, even though I'm a taxpayer in the state of Michigan, I still need the University of Michigan ID to go walk in and do anything in their, uh, you know, do anything in their uh, uh, in their library, let alone their, you know, letter, let alone their materials science lab. <laughs> and that's, uh, you know, it's 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 frustrating. It would be nice to, you know, it'd be it would be nice to uh, move these things past the you know, sort of cult slash guild phase and into something that's a little more accessible. But, uh, you know, I, I hate to say it, monasteries are Lindy. I have a question for, uh, I have a question for Duval. Um, you have to, if you had to choose which one to give up, um, all scientific papers ever or GitHub, uh, which would it be? Hmm. That's tough. <laughs> I, know. I don't know what the, I don't have an easy answer. That's why I wanted to. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, Omega shows up uh, to you and is like, I, I'm going to destroy either 
you know, every scientific <laughs> publisher and all the content or, you know, GitHub and every open source project. Right. Um, I mean, I think, uh, do I get to keep the ones I already downloaded? <laughs> Papers? <laughs> if I already have them printed, you can't delete them, right? Then, yeah, uh, I think GitHub is more important. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's a good thing for all the the papers to get deleted, right? <laughs> significant fraction of papers Just are already in GitHub anyway, so. Yeah, half of them are bullshit, more, probably more, and then. The ones that are worth it are in GitHub, basically. Is that right, the, the, one, the ones where you can actually go run the code and reproduce it, they're all in GitHub, and the ones where you can't run the code and reproduce it, those are those are in the, uh, the, the, the Lancet, so. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and maybe it's a good thing to. This is this is the way you nuke the uh, peer review system. <laughs> oh my god, I can't I can't even fathom uh, what the new gatekeeperism that's gonna emerge out of GitHub is gonna look like. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I just noticed this this ability for uh, systems to just reproduce themselves in, in new sort of lands. It's 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 uh, it's fascinating. It, it, uh, yeah, it's it's. Um, yeah, you know, you, 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 you become the revolution and then you win and then you get busy rebuilding the thing that you Correct. rebelled against. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty common in Silicon Valley, anti-academic, but then we have Y Combinator and like on deck and like, you know, we created our own credentials. I guess they're better than like the previous thing, but. We didn't get rid of credentials. I mean, uh, yeah. Silicon Valley is amazing because it's like anti-regulation unless the regulation is regulating us into being locked in <laughs> everywhere, in which case, you know, uh, that's fine. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, or, or, or Google being anti-patents, right, until it wasn't um, and whatnot. Like, it's <laughs> just changing the side of the system you're on changes you how, how you feel about the system, I guess. Right, right. I mean, I think like what's interesting is that we're seeing this huge erosion of religion, especially among like the among Gen Z people. But then at the same time, like spirituality, uh, astrology is becoming extremely popular as as a result. So it's like we didn't get rid of that feeling; just went somewhere else. Matt, well, while you were gone, we 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 changed completely the topic into religion. <laughs> uh, sorry, we didn't we didn't ask you about this. Uh, but yes, yes. It is fascinating that, I mean, this was actually a big a big question in the new atheist circles, right? Like, do we need another thing, or is it like, is the whole concept of religion bad, or is the particular systems bad, or with bad being sort of let's call it unnecessary, right? Like, is it um, is it something that is fundamentally needed, or something that is um, yeah. Uh, so astrology, like I don't know, kids these days. Uh, I guess Deval, you're the relevant authority. Is astrology on the on the comeback? Then? Yeah, yeah, it's very popular now. I, yeah, I have no it's words. It's really bad. I have no words. Um, it's, it's, I mean, it's can we can we take it and use it somehow to to promote uh, uh, spacefaring? Is this use it yeah. to promote crystal healing? And not uh, not exactly where I was going with this, but you know, right. <laughs> yeah, it's it, really bad. It's it's uh, you know I'm I'm about ten years older than you are, Duvall, uh, and I think <laughs> about ten years younger than you are, Alex. So yeah, um, uh, it is 
it, it's proliferated it up, up into like my bracket of millennials for sure. Um, right. There's a lot of a lot of people who do actually make day to day decisions on the basis of what their stupid fucking star chart says. In fact, I've started to see wars between fundamentalist Christians and uh, like woo Wicca people begin to proliferate on Instagram. Uh, there was a there was a very, very funny uh, cat fight that happened uh, some weeks ago uh, that I was witness to between a group of people in a comments section who are convinced that uh, astrology is this concrete and useful thing in their day to day lives. And people were convinced that uh, astrology is bad because it's demonic possession. Right. Right. Of course. It was like I, I was I was um, I was hearing the just to I mean, if we're going to get canceled, might as well do it properly. Uh, I was hearing the 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 podcast between uh, Coleman Hughes and um, I, I don't know, uh, Charles Murray. Right. That's the one. And I was oh, hearing yes. them talk, which was like a fantastic conversation, by the way. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I feel Coleman is really coming into his own and is getting quite more assertive, which it, it, like I, I just like. I haven't heard a conversation that satisfying in a while, but there was a point in that conversation where they were like, you know, um, Coleman was, was, was sort of telling Murray that like the stuff that Murray is talking about should not be talked about because it has certain negative um, potential effects. And then Murray was telling uh, Coleman that um, it should be talked about because the alternative is worse. And I was just kind of sitting there screaming at the screen. It's like, no, truth is truth. We should actually just, it doesn't matter. what We don't, we don't have to make a consequentialist argument for just saying what is true. If it's true, it's true. And we should say it. And if it's not true, we should not say it. And I don't know why you're trying to contort an argument about what, you know, that, that there is a good, that there's something else that's better or what. But it was like watching two, you know, the blind leading the blind basically down the down the cliff. And I was just like sitting there just kind of like, why is nobody saying the obvious None of you guys know what you're talking about. Oh, it was it was so frustrating. I, I've I've never felt so uh, so frustrated listening to a podcast in, in in recent memory. There are very few functional downsides to having a higher definition view of reality than other people. I, the, you know. the true centralization that you can have is reality, right? Like yeah. th that is the one thing that we all share that is replicable. Yeah. And I can send you over there, and I'm gonna, gonna say like, do this experiment and take the answer and use it, right? And I know what it's gonna be because I've done the same experiment, and I don't need right. to send you the answer. I can just, you know, refer you to the source, and you can figure it out. Like everything else needs to be constructed and supported artificially, and therefore is gonna be a huge drain uh, to like, oh no, no, we don't talk about that. We don't talk. About and 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 if I bet you, if you look into the past for knowledge that was not um, uh, sort of widely available, um, and what people were saying about what would happen if that knowledge did become widely available, it was had nothing to do with what actually happened when it did become widely available. You know, like um, yeah, how like uh, encryption was not. You know, how, you know how uh, the UK uh, gave like Enigma machines to all its colonies to like encrypt their communications because they knew that they could just crack it like trivially right so uh, that, that that whole ruse right. because the whole bleshley park what they had done there was not uh, well known until the 70s pretty much um they were just giving out their african colonies like enigma machines <laughs> you know like but okay then communication became a thing and then all of a sudden you have e-banking 
right, with Booth Encryption. It's like, I don't think people were thinking about e-banking when they're like, should we, you know, make, you know, encryption something that people can use casually or not? Like, they had, they were like, oh, will our opponents be able to share messages that we can't crack? But not e-banking, right? So, 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 yeah, like that, I find it so arrogant when people are like, oh, no, if you, you know, this conversation makes it out to the plebs, like, they're going to, uh, you know, do this and this. It's like, that's one thing that you can think about and maybe it'll happen, maybe not, but also infinitely other things. So I don't know <laughs> to tell you. Yeah, the idea the idea of info hazards, I think, is a very frustrating and, and, and uh, uh, counterproductive development. I, I think there are a lot of people who do genuinely believe in info hazards. They think that... Uh, they think that there are elements of reality that you are better off not knowing. And I think that the that leaves the that leaves a question unexamined, which is why are you better off not knowing that? Is it because you have a lesser degree of fitness for purpose in reality as a result? Because that's its own issue, you know? To me, like it's just like we should just give up on the idea that certain things can be restrained. But um, uh, now that you mentioned it as info hazards, um, I, 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 I'm reminded that I should probably do the work to to prove conclusively one way or another if it's a thing, because that is the beast that must be defeated, right? The basilisk, right? If you like, that has to be taken down. Um, uh, that, that because that is the valid argument. I guess the the, the, the fully the fully formed. Uh, version of this argument is, is 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 info hazards, right? So, do they exist or not? And intuitively, I feel like you you even if they do, how are you going to constrain them? Like, I, I don't understand what the what the idea is, right? It, it, it's, I guess, Matt. I'm just going to assume that this is an argument near and dear to your heart, but it's like guns, basically. Like, you restrict them, you keep them out of the guns of good people. Uh, not out of the hands of bad people. I've been asked to speak less on that subject, but um, okay. So, <laughs> so exactly, you are it's now exactly a, like that. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> into that world. Uh, you are just my stand-in, you know, smart uh, person who has interesting ideas about that. So I'm just, uh, I'm just putting you I in mean, a tough spot. But uh, you can look, also look, just like, change the subject. <laughs> well. No, I'll, I'll I'll comment I'll compl- I'll comment obliquely and vaguely on it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, ultimately, uh, knowledge of how to act appropriately in a situation requires you to use less firepower to an effect to affect a change on that situation, and this is true of. This is true in a military sense. It's true in a markets sense. It's true in a lot of different senses. Um, when you have a greater level of knowledge about something, um, that actually trades off with with the amount of destruction you need to to cause to affect a change in that thing, or the amount of construction you have to do to build a lever that moves it. Um, you know, in a more elegant way. And I think that. Uh, I think that restrictionism around this sort of stuff is very, very fundamentally misguided. It doesn't take into account the fact that um, that while humans are not always rational, they tend to be more rational when they have better information 
about things, right? Human human beings have a high degree of bounded rationality that is, um, you know, that that is largely a function of how aware they are of whether or not something is going to affect them in a negative or positive way and, uh, and how immediately it'll do that. Um, so the more information you proliferate, the more, uh, the more rational people's decisions will are likely to become in aggregate. You'll have outliers, you'll have exceptions to that, but in aggregate, that's, been what has happened throughout history extrapolate my view on firearms from that <laughs> from from from, from, I mean, from all I guess of that. The, and and you have a general idea of uh yeah of, i guess the uh, problem uh, I, what i feel I a lot of the time from. is a problem for people is that they um are not willing to go through an intermediate period where the knowledge is spreading uh and yeah. and the asymmetries that are available to people during that time yeah. uh they're like oh you know this sucks like i mean you know i don't have actually a strong opinion on, on, on brexit but like the worst kind of argument for brexit is like it's going to be uncomfortable for a little while it's like okay <laughs> right but if they are right then that doesn't matter and if they're wrong then that doesn't matter yeah. so why are you making that argument you know like it's it's kind of like the 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 uh, you know, at Balena, for instance, I tend to worry. The, the 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 problem that worries me the least is a problem that gets smaller over time. It could be pretty bad, right? But it, if it's something that like the dynamic of it is the sort of thing that like it it, it will it will self correct and it will not kill us. I'm like, okay, we have a an old version of the operating system out there that is getting replaced every day that doesn't work very well and is causing high support burden. Am I going to worry too much about it? No, because all I have to do is wait, and then it'll get replaced, and then I don't have a problem. Like if I have a new version of the operating system that's kind of causing high support volume, then you know I need to run as fast as humanly possible to get that thing out of production. But if it's an old version, eh, you know, whatever, it'll it'll burn itself out. We'll be fine. If we're not dead yet, you know, if we made it this far, we're probably going to make it to the next level. You know, like yeah. that that sort of thing. And and um, I think people are not patient with that kind of like. We don't have the, rash the rationality training as a civilization. I don't know what to, where to yeah. ascribe this to, but yeah, we, we can't just say like, well, this this thing you can weigh it out. You're fine. Well, so I, and I think that this is I think that this is a a huge issue when it comes to all of that sort of stuff that people like to restrict, whether it's you know whether it's um, things that can propel objects rapidly over distances, uh, or whether it's uh, uh, and I'm talking about I'm talking about engines in this in this uh, of course, uh, rockets. This context. Yeah, 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 abso yeah. Abso absolutely. Um, uh, rockets and, and all sorts of other stuff yeah, yeah. like that. You, the ability to send something at high speed from point A to point B uh, is something that, as it was proliferating, caused all sorts of imbalances. And once it proliferated, reached uh, a, a uh, reached an equilibrium. That was the case with the proliferation of firearms that was the pro case with the proliferation of uh you know of uh of of uh trains rockets you know what what have you and i think that that also applies um you know that applies uh, uh in sort of sort of a uh, metaphorical sense also to information it applies also to um you know models of analyzing information uh you know when you you know when you uh start to 
send that sort of thing out there, you create a competitive environment in which, uh, you know, in, in which the adoption of the, uh, you know, of the new thing becomes necessary to survive. Um, and I think that that uh, is a virtuous constraint uh, to put on human civilization. We need, we may, you know, to call back to our earlier discussion about warfare, we might not need warfare, um, but we need to, we do need some sort of virtuous constraint, whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's competitive or existential, uh, without a tiger chasing us, we have no reason to run faster. Right. Duval, this is your cue, man. Yeah. We've all stopped talking. <laughs> There's quiet. You don't have to... I'm, I'm Greek. I can just jump in. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For me, it's like every, every time you guys talk, I'm just learning and processing <laughs> and then like i have like a bunch of threads that are i'm super adhd so it's like uh yeah but um i do think that space is going to be a forcing function for improving technology like that's pretty clear it, it has been pretty clear um like with i i remember like i always see this like stupid luddite argument on twitter from time to time about like uh oh why are we putting resources into space when there's so many problems on the ground. It's just like the most, like, <laughs> it always drives me insane when I see that. Um, I mean, those people are just people that, you know, that will just be ignored, but uh, like- Well, yeah, but sometimes I, they, yeah, get, yeah. they get, um, you know, the right. Greta Thunbergs of this world get get, get uh, coverage, right? And, and, and access right, right. to people uh, to make those yeah, kinds yeah. of arguments and it, it um, I mean, you you want to believe that it'll all wash away and not matter, but like, mm -hmm. you know, it's hard to sometimes. Some days it's easier than others to believe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe we can keep those people in VR land and. <laughs> no, you know, but, uh... the, that's the other thing. The other, the, the, the we've we've kind of hinted at this a couple of times, and it's like to me, like what I notice with AIs, but honestly with people as well, is that as soon as we have an opportunity, what we choose to do is wirehead, basically, like what is the easiest way to like yeah. um it's, it's for 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 the listeners this is actually a pretty uh, unusual concept it's the idea to if you could take your pleasure center and 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 just sort of connect it to at will uh satisfaction right like you just find mm -hmm. whatever is making your brain feel happy and you connect it to a button you keep pressing the button basically um uh, you know that it feels like we're inching into that like as much as we can and that's i guess vr land in a way um and then the, but but you like intuitively makes sense that like that cannot it can only go so far right until somebody's right, right. got to keep the lights on so, like i remember elon uh talking on rogan and it's like if we don't make stuff there is no stuff like and he, he kind of <laughs> <laughs> he was really upset about this and it felt like he was coming from somewhere deep where, you know, he's been, he feels like he's talking to people that don't understand that, like, things have, in order for things to exist, things have to be made, and somebody's got to make them. And, you know, you know, like, make stuff, and, and that means that no stuff will be made. And it's sort of like, you know, it's very extremely basic argument that, that just was not coming across to whoever. <laughs> well right i mean that's and that's 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 a that's an important question about the future of humanity like is our is our purpose to to maximize pleasure and and minimize pain or is our purpose to uh do something different from that yeah is our purpose to you know is our purpose to continue propagating 
Terrigen life. I mean, I, I don't, that's above my pay. You know, coming up with a robust <laughs> answer to that is above my pay grade by quite, you know, by, by a couple rungs. But, um, I already know what the answer to that for me is. And right. I intend to execute on that. So you know. there was a, there was a, this thing shared on Twitter about like the top 10 things to do to be happy. And I was like, that's amazing. I do none of these things. Um, <laughs> um but i i had sleep cycle yeah be nice to people um (laughs) sleep well you know eat well exercise i'm like oh my god this is this is getting worse and worse um the the uh but i I remember having made a like a a conscious choice that like if it comes down between happiness and you know uh making progress i i will consciously choose progress the weird thing is I'm pretty happy in retrospect. Right. And I think happiness is the sort of thing that uh, ultimately my, my lesson from that is happiness is the sort of thing you can't um, consciously pursue. If you pursue it the way we are, maybe VR line will solve that, or maybe it won't actually, which is interesting. Um, but, you know, it's the sort of thing that you can't get up in the morning and say like, I will be happy today. Right. Yeah. It's the sort of thing that, that, that you get through not want, not chasing after it. Um, in a way, if you look at the richest people in the world today, they did not um, take a money maximizing strategy in their lives uh, necessarily. They didn't say like, uh, you know, it wasn't like uh, Gates said, like, what is the most the fastest way to make money? And as a kid in the 80s, he was like microcomputers, right? <laughs> Basic compilers. Right? He, he just did a thing he thought was like awesome. And that ended up you know, linking into something that was extremely valuable. Uh, but you, you don't, yeah, I, I, I find there's several extremely valuable things that cannot be pursued directly, which is maybe the salvation to the wireheading problem because, yeah, it, it, it doesn't doesn't click, hopefully. <laughs> for, the, for the good of humanity. Going back to the space thing, like, I think, like, you know, colonizing space is, like, going to be, great for earth like you know like you you want a place to test like all your terraforming technology right like you don't want to use earth for that like mars is going to be perfect um so i think like it's probably like you want to solve climate change go to mars like that's (laughs) that's the answer yeah yeah that's a it's a really good i mean honestly i feel like bezos doesn't get what he deserves in terms of recognition for his visions of like you know the earth being zoned for light industrial what is what does he call it like um that's his, his thing with the o'neill cylinders and whatnot where he wants to sort of create these uh these off-world worlds i guess and then the earth right. being retained for you know its ecosystem which is going to be you know let's face it it's going to be hard to to replicate the earth's ecosystem what is that sir O'Neill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I see. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this is uh, in terms of in terms of uh, a, a, a a a counterpoint to Kaczynski. This you could do a lot worse than Gerard K. O'Neill's uh, uh, "The High Frontier," um, which comes with uh, lots of cool pictures of things like what Alex just described. Uh, you know. O'Neill cylinders, Bernal spheres, right? Lots of other, lots of other, lots of other playgrounds for mankind. What's What's actually interesting is like Bezos actually studied directly under O'Neill. 
Like that's I think really at Princeton. Yeah. No yeah. Huh. I yeah. didn't know that. <laughs> Whoa. Is this like a Makes long sense. con, basically, from Bezos? Is that is this like? <laughs> has it been working on? Is he like the mastermind we didn't know we needed? Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I th- like I think Be- yeah, Bezos was very interested in space travel before Amazon, and that's pretty interesting to think about. Fascinating. Uh, Does anybody know why Blue Origin is looking like they're doing nothing? Are they really doing nothing, or are they doing a ton of stuff that they're not telling anybody about? I honestly don't know. I don't know. I think I think yeah. it's possible that all the best engineers got scooped up by SpaceX and are running in that uh, <laughs> and are running in that vertical. And all yeah, it's it's entirely possible that that's the case. Um, their uh, their um, moon launch or the, their moon access system that they proposed was just a fundamentally worse proposal than what starship is capable of um they're uh right they're they're getting a lot of flack from a lot of the space youtubers uh because yeah they're like yeah what you proposed is fundamentally unsafe um like not only you will not win you should not win right uh sort of like like, (laughs) uh, you know anger uh, which have you know you never really see that community is always very open and friendly (laughs) <laughs> and it's like anybody should win except those guys. Uh made Scott Manley mad. You've 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 really walked over <laughs> you've walked down a uh, very, very, very uh very dark, dark path. path, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um okay, I think um maybe we wrap it up, but before we do, um maybe I don't know, like you know, there's a standard question that people uh, ask and I don't know which one to uh settle on, but I'll try this one. Uh, what are some YouTube channels that everybody should be watching? As Andrew is saying in the chat here, uh, the Belina YouTube channel. Whoa. Okay, not not an acceptable answer. <laughs> uh, I think they're that, already uh, watching this one. We need to know. <laughs> Grant Grant Sanderson's three blue one brown is in reinventing math education. Uh, give him fifteen bucks every time he posts. You should too. Um, I think that's excellent. Uh, I think that's that awesome. uh, I think that uh, um, the sort of group of uh, the the sort of, the group of um, people uh, Wendover Productions, Polymatter, um, and a few others uh, all have kind of a uh, internet rationalist um, view of current events. And I think if you want to replace reading The Economist with something that is both more informationally dense and uh, maybe a little more keyed into, um, you know, ground truth, uh, watching an hour's worth of those YouTube videos once every two weeks, uh, you, you could do a lot worse than that. Um, I'm also a huge fan of, uh, I mean, I, I, honest, honestly, um, I know I mentioned earlier, but uh, people, People like Scott Manley, just individual individual people who categorize or who collect, categorize and distill lots of information and then distribute it. Well, Um, those folks are those folks are uh, in whatever niche they end up in, usually the the best sources of information. And and, uh, they're either on YouTube or on Twitter most of the time, in my view, Uh, that would be my, my answer. We gave Deval quite a bit of time to uh, yeah to, to process 
Yeah. Um, there's one YouTube channel I really like. It's called the efficient engineer. Um, they make like videos on, uh, like they go really into detail on the theory of like material science. Like you might, they do, they had an excellent video on the stress strain curve. Um, they go into explaining like how FDA works and like understanding like torsion. They do videos basically on fluid dynamics and, uh, solid mechanics mainly. Um, but it's like really well animated, very well explained, very concise. And I found that that was very helpful for me. Um, especially like if you're trying to self-teach yourself with mechanical engineering, like a lot of the theory, like it makes it digestible. Um, I'd say it's almost like Grant Sanderson's, like, like the equivalent of that for like, uh, materials engineering and that kind of thing. Um, and then the other one I like is teaching tech. Um, he does a lot of videos on like making 3d printers. He, I, I saw a video recently he did on Clipper. Um, a lot of it's like beginner stuff, but like, I guess if someone's listening to this, they might enjoy that channel a lot, especially if they're, if they're listening to this, they're going to enjoy that channel. So I found that both of them are very helpful. Yeah. Teaching, teaching tech does a great job of, of distilling stuff. That's a, that's an awesome channel. There's, there's, there's uh, I, I think in general, the printing 3d printing YouTube community is just out completely. Just oh yeah. Insane. Like so many people that I've, I've learned so much because again, like, I, I'm very much closer to that beginner. I've watched a ton of teaching tech and like, you know, uh, Thomas Lander and like just so many of those guys who just like, they'll just take a topic and they'll just break it down to bits, right, for you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and just like, you end up knowing the thing. Like they don't, yeah. I don't know, there's like a weird sort of meritocracy on YouTube that is, is rare elsewhere because these people live and die by, by the views. So they can't, you know, fake it, uh, not for too long anyway. Um, like, um, oh yeah. What was the, um, thought emporium I I saw, have you guys seen that guy? Um, he did one thing where he literally grew human neurons and connected them to a circuit, uh, to do something. And it was like, I was like, okay, this does qualify as a maker product project, I guess. <laughs> but I, <laughs> you know, the aesthetic is all the same, but the topic is um, completely out there. Um, Synthetic yeah, it was spider just... use silk using yeast. Oh wow! Yeah, I'm <laughs> telling you, uh, that that okay. channel is just one of the most uh, one of the most insane things I've. Uh, I've ever seen. Um, it, it is. Wow. It's just um, everything. All of it is just madness. Yeah, but it's 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 broadly part of the same uh, circle, but also just brings a twist that is just. It, it is that thing that we were talking about. Basically, he goes out into the the wild and he brings back things that you're like, okay, that like I consider myself as somebody who like goes out there and that is out there for me. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, folks. I think we've made it. Um, <laughs> I, we, we, we covered we covered so many topics. I, was, I don't even know what the title is going to be, but I, 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 I'm going to be thinking about this conversation for a while. Uh, a this is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. This is a ton of fun. Thanks for, thanks for bringing this together. I, uh, I can think of far worse ways to, uh, far worse ways to spend Friday evenings than, uh, than, than uh, shooting the shit with uh, a couple guys who are as smart as you two. Seriously, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely learned a lot. I'm going to listen to this a couple of times to process it all. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, guys.
Hey everyone, that's a wrap for episode two. We appreciate the support. Stay tuned for the next one. Thank you.